African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome to African Dialogue. I'm Benjamin Mushatama, back with you. And uh, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today on the program, we're going to look at an interesting story. I think it's a little bit offbeat, but hey, we need to find out what's happening here. China is proposing to establish naval bases in key ports on the continent. So we're going to find out about what these proposals mean. Could this be happening? What does this mean for the dominance of China as this military force? But hey, we'll deal with that after this uh, particular news update. And Musa is standing by. In the headlines, the appeal court in South Africa to hear an appeal application by convicted Nigerian Henry Okar. Palestinian lobby groups call on the South African government to join the global boycott against Israel. And a United Nations panel calls for targeted sanctions against former Central African Republic President Michel Jotadia. A very good morning to you. Palestinian lobby groups have called on the South African governments to join the global campaign for a boycott and trade sanctions against Israel. The call has been made ahead of the meeting between President Jacob Zuma and his Palestinian counterpart Mahmoud Abbas at South Africa's Union Buildings in the capital Pretoria this morning. Abbas is on his first state visit to South Africa, a trip which will culminate in the signing of key bilateral agreements to bolster political ties between Palestine and Pretoria. Tsipoi Kaneng reports. The Palestine-Israeli conflict is expected to top the agenda during President Zuma's private talks with visiting Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas. The recent siege of Gaza by the Israeli military was met with outrage from across the globe. The bombardment claimed almost 2,000 lives, many of them women and children. Pro-Palestinian groups and some eminent South Africans have called on government to introduce trade sanctions against Israel. But the South African government is not convinced that economic sanctions will be effective. Pretoria has instead maintained that dialogue is key in reaching a peaceful settlement to the Israeli-Palestine conflict. 
The appeal court here in South Africa is to hear the is to hear an application by convicted Nigerian Henry Okar. Okar is appealing the High Court's decision to convict him on 13 counts of terrorism and sentence him to an effective 24-year jail term. The charges related to two car bombs in Abuja, Nigeria, in which 12 people were killed and 36 injured on the 1st of October 2010, the anniversary of the country's independence. The second bombing took place in Wari at a post-amnesty meeting where one person was killed and 11 seriously injured. Throughout the trial, Okar maintained his innocence, citing the trial was politically motivated. A United Nations panel is calling for targeted sanctions against former Central African Republic's President Michel Jotadia, accused of trying to derail the political transition in the capital, Bangui. A panel of experts listed Jotadia, who lives in exile in Cotonou, Benin, among 15 individuals who should be punished for hampering peace efforts in the Central African Republic. A UN sanctions committee is due to review the list that also includes military chiefs in the coming weeks and submit names to the Security Council, which would then decide on the measures. Shotadia rose to power in March last year after his Seleka rebel movement overthrew longtime leader Francois Bozizé, but he stepped down in January amid chaos in his country. A committee listing the damage done during protests that forced Burkina Faso's long-time president from power says 24 people were killed in the unrest. Opposition protesters angry that President Blaise Compré was seeking another term after 27 years in power set the parliament building on fire and forced his resignation on the 31st of last month. The committee says another 625 people were wounded and the residences of several ministers and legislators were torched and looted. It's the first official toll from the unrest, though the opposition had previously said 30 people were killed in the violence. And finally, advocacy group Lesbians, Gays and Bisexuals of Botswana will reapply to register as an organization. The group is reapplying today after winning a case in which it challenged government's refusal to register the organization. In rejecting the application, government had argued the constitution does not recognize homosexuals. Two weeks ago, High Court Judge Terence Ronowane ruled that the group could register the organization. The Labor Ministry and the Register of Societies previously refused to let the organization register. Recapping the top stories, the appeal court in South Africa is to hear an appeal application by convicted Nigerian Henry Okar. Palestinian lobby groups call on the South African government to join the global boycott against Israel. And a United Nations panel calls for targeted sanctions against former Central African Republic's President Michel Jotodia. Well, uh, uh, that is uh, uh, thank you to Anne Musa, and that was my actually my producer who's speaking there in the background. They're looking at this topic that we're going to be speaking on today, uh, looking at uh, China proposing to establish naval bases in uh, certain various uh, ports in uh, various countries and regions. Now, the discussions that are currently taking place in China regarding the Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy building a base at uh, 
Walvis Bay in uh, the next 10 years. According to reports, there'll be this will be one of the 18 naval bases built in various regions. And the Chinese government maintains this is to actually secure safety of international maritime routes. Now, the other proposed ports in Africa are at the Lagos port, Mombasa port, Dar es Salaam port, Djibouti port, and Luanda port. Now, to assist us on this, we have uh, analysts to help us on this uh, very difficult subject, but we're going to simplify it today to see how, what this proposal means for the continent and what does it mean for also the dominance of uh, uh, the force in uh, China. But on the line, we have Elmut Heitman, who is a defense analyst and consultant. We also have uh, Dr. Francois Frey from the Faculty of Military Science at the University of Stellenbosch. Also joining us is Tim Walker, who's a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. Now, uh, Mr. Heitman, I only have a few minutes with you because I know that you have other engagements that you are busy with. But uh, what are your views about uh, China's uh, proposed plans to build these uh, naval ports in various regions. Do we know what are the main reasons they're doing this? I think probably two main reasons, and, and one has to remember that the Chinese do think pretty long-term. The, the one reason is, is, in fact, the one they express, which is maritime security. They're a growing economy, they're a growing amount of international trade, most of which is inevitably seaborne. Mm. There's an increasing level of piracy in African waters and also in Asian waters. This is a threat of further piracy elsewhere and also a threat of maritime terrorism in the future. On that basis, they want to be able to deploy warships to protect their shipping. Mm. And warships need to fuel, they need fuel, they need supplies, maintenance, etc. So they want bases. And the argument is that these are all, in fact, simply replenishment stations that they'll be establishing, not full-blown naval bases. That's the one side. Mm. The other side, however, China also sees itself as a global power in the future. And international politics is, can sometimes be a little bit simplistic, and presence counts for a lot when you're trying to exert influence. And if you physically have military forces in an area, mm. and the Navy lends itself best to that, you have that presence and you have the, the clout that goes with it. And they do still think, as do the Indians, a little bit in almost Victorian terms uh, when they think strategy. Mm. So that's an important factor for them, to be, to be there. And they have in the past said that their long-term plan is to develop what they call an international Navy, which one Chinese officer described to me as being a Navy that is capable of operating indefinitely in any ocean of the world without a shore base. Mm. When you sit there without a shore base, I mean without a a big facility, dockyard and everything. Mm. So it's those two things. The one is protecting their seaborne trade. The other is as a tool of influence for the future. Mm. Well, that's also interesting. Dr. Francois Frey, what are your views about uh, this uh, particular move by the uh, China's People's Liberation Army Navy and these proposals that are being made? Um... Our view on this would be one that says, um, on the one hand, China is um, following an agenda of a, of a modern navy, mm. and in that regard, it's very much about the seas, the so-called uh, inner seas or the close seas uh, around China that they want to secure, but simultaneously, they also have an agenda for the distant seas, and the distant seas includes... Um, the Indian Ocean, and in particular the Western Indian Ocean. Hmm. And it is in the latter one where they, when you start operating at such vast distances, where you really need to have your act together if you want to operate at sea, but you don't want to uh, have or be constricted to to having uh, bases 
that you have to, to go to. But in the sense of securing the trade of the softer side of good order at sea, and the kinds of deployments that that would enhance, irrespective of what the, the, the ultimate um, strategic objectives are, such long deployments over such vast distances will tell you, you, in a sense, you need to bring about bases, and that those bases that you establish have different categories in terms of the agreements that govern mm. your access to those bases. Um, and we do have a an emergent uh, pattern of China looking at such bases uh, in the Indian Ocean and towards Africa in particular, but what is important is to, to ultimately view what are the agreements that govern access to these bases. Mm. Well, I want to come back to you, uh, Mr. Heitman. I'll come to you, Tim Walker, just in a few minutes because we have a limited time with Mr. Helmut Heitman. In terms of uh, this dominance and the, the bigness of uh, uh, China's military, I mean, it boasts a personnel strength of 255,000 servicemen and women, including 10,000 uh, Marines and 26,000 Naval Air Force personnel. Is this good for uh, world politics and uh, uh, the dynamics that uh, have to do with that? Well, it's not necessarily harmful. I mean, certainly yeah. if they focus the first next two years on anti-piracy operations and general maritime security, mm. won't do any harm at all. On the other hand, if you look at the, the predilection for, for illegal fishing by Chinese fishing companies mm. that might then be protected by warships when somebody tries to interfere, that, of course, would not be so good. But giving, giving them the benefit of the doubt there, but as such, it doesn't present a threat. And having a replenishment base in a place like Walters Bay, for instance, will bring some foreign exchange for, for Namibia. Mm. So you could take a very positive view of it. In the longer term, we just have to understand that China is a major power with, with intentions of being a major power, doing everything major powers do. It will do over time everything that the United States has done in the past, that Russia did in the past, that, that Britain and France did in, in their days, major powers, global powers. Mm. That will not always coincide with the interests of countries in a particular region, one such region being Africa. Sometimes it will coincide, sometimes it will not. I mean, times have changed. I don't, we, I don't foresee, you know, Indian, Chinese marines storming across certain beaches to colonize South Africa. That's not going to happen. Yeah. But certainly the, the presence of, of warships can be, a, can be a problem and can be a threat in some situations. Certainly, ex- the presence is a thing that exercises people's minds when, when they're considering how to jump. In a, in a political situation. But we must also bear in mind that while the Chinese are talking of this stuff, they are talking very long term, so it's not going to happen anytime soon. Mm. And also, they, I don't know if they're taking into account the actual cost of building and maintaining a navy that big over time. And the economy is growing rapidly at the moment, or slowing a bit, and is going to continue growing for some time. But when, when their one child per family policy turns around to bite them, which it will in the next 20 years or so, they're going to find the economy slowing down rather dramatically. And then sustaining a Navy that size might be rather difficult. Mm. Let me come to you, Tim Walker. What are your views in these establishments? Uh, well, um, <clears throat> Helmut and, and, uh, and Francois have both uh, covered uh, quite a lot of the ground I would have yeah. uh, put across as well, um, mm-hmm. especially in terms of the fact that the bases being, well, the, the, the term bases uh, you can't really, as, I said, can't, can't compare them to what the United States in the okay. ocean. Mm. So in terms of replenishment, um, they definitely have that uh, that function in the future, and, and it does seem um, relatively benign at the moment. And 
it comes down a lot to uh, how we as uh, individuals or whatever groups we associate with uh, perceive China and China's role in the future. Yeah, and I just uh, wanted to also look at this idea that maybe we aren't looking at uh, and maybe looking at uh, could this be a reason of creating that military supremacy? I know that uh, Mr. Hateman highlighted it, but how important is that element of that uh, military supremacy? Because I know that uh, China can a bit be a bit uh, militant. That's the view that we have from afar. Dr. Francois Frey, what's your point there? Look, um, if we if we look at the general idea of being uh, having a, a very large military, including all the services, mm. that's I almost want to say that's one image or one perception. I would like to make the point when you take that idea of having this military might, and now you want to put it to sea by way of your navy, that's a different kettle of fish. And um, I would like to make the point that to to promote your status by projecting your military power at sea over a distance from China into the Western Indian Ocean, that's that's a tall order. Hmm. So, in effect, China can have many vessels, but projecting naval power into, for example, the Western Indian Ocean close to Africa and maintaining it there either as a presence or if they, for what reason, want to escalate it towards notions of sea control that is really an even taller order Mm. uh, to be able to do that. Because there's a big difference between maintaining vessels on station um, by way of a naval presence, even in an anti-piracy role, Mm. and to maintain a naval uh, presence where you seek, for example, elements of sea control. That is something that I would almost say at the moment that I think that even the Chinese would be very, very cautious not to be able to do that. But keeping ships on station in the Western Indian Ocean, close to Africa, doing port visits, or cooperating in terms of anti-piracy, cooperating mm-hmm. for the idea of good order at sea, playing their role of um, helping to maintain a so-called global public good of maritime security and safe sea lines of communication, Um, that is part and parcel of what we are seeing, what the Chinese are doing with their Navy at present. But I would just like to stress the point of projecting your military image by way of your Navy across the oceans. You really need to know what you are doing, and you need the economic backup to do that. Mm. And and what's your view with that? I know you highlighted that briefly, uh, uh, Mr. Hateman, in terms of uh, the uh, can they have the capacity to do this over a long period of time? Do we think this is possible, or is it just an idealistic uh, thing that is just being brought to the table here? I think in the Indian Ocean and it's probably possible. I mean, the Indian Ocean and large chunks of the Pacific. For the China to try to really expand naval influence into the Atlantic seriously, or into the, the Western Pacific, or up, now that you're going to exercise the Mediterranean, I think those, those are really flag-waving exercises to show that they're serious about things, to show that they're a major player 
and in the case of the West African coast to, to actually uh, suppress piracy and protect yeah. the shipping. I, I agree with Wanto, as I said earlier already. I'd, I'd, it would be a hell of an economic load to try and maintain serious naval forces all over the place. I think Western Indian Ocean is probably possible for quite a while yet, but it's going to take a while before they even get there. Mm. You know, they have their first aircraft carrier operational. It's only the last couple of years that they've really effectively learned how to do underweight replenishment of ships to, to keep ships at sea for a length of time by sending out supply ships for them. It takes time to build a navy. It takes time to learn how to do these things. So it'll, it'll be a decade or two before they're really capable, and then then they will already start hitting some economic problems. Mm. But bear in mind also the Western Indian Ocean, or the whole Indian Ocean, for China is important as a factor via the India. They have dis- disagreements with India, there are long-standing border disputes, and also question who is, who is the major player, and they both have a somewhat Victorian view of things. Mm. So the presence of Chinese ships in the Western Indian Ocean, as well as the Eastern Indian Ocean, is important to Beijing as a, as a message of, or message to Delhi to say, listen, we are big guys, we are here. And India is certainly rising to the challenge with mm. the expansion of its navy. Mm. So I think mm. you'll see a bit of a naval race in that theater. And that, that's for some time to come the Chinese economy will be able to carry. Mm. But if they try to go beyond that, into the Western Pacific Ocean or, or seriously into the Atlantic, then they'll overstretch themselves and, and, and start hitting economic problems. Mm. Well, we're going to take a little break right now. The time right now is 21 minutes past 11 o'clock. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And today I have uh, guests on the line, experts looking at uh, the discussions taking place regarding Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy building a base at Walvis Bay in the next 10 years. But uh, this will be one of 18 naval bases built in various regions. And as highlighted during this particular conversation, the Chinese have maintained that this is to secure safety of international maritime routes. On the line, we have uh, Tim Walker, who's a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. We've got uh, Dr. Francois Frey from the Faculty of Military Science at the University of Stellenbosch. And uh, also we have Helmut Heitman, a defense analyst and consultant. But I'm going to take a little break. What are your views? Do you think that this would be good for our continent? Uh, we hear that it could be done to secure uh, issues such as trade, issues such as uh, piracy. Uh, what are your views? Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We'll be back with our guests after this break. We believe that in order to really achieve gender equality, it's essential that we can advance much more women's empowerment. All of us deserve the same fair chance to contribute to our societies and live up to our potential. When everyone can contribute on an equal footing, our communities and nation are healthier and stronger. Socialist Party politician and the president of Chile, Michelle Bachelet, joined the 16 Days of Activism Against Women and Children, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
You are listening to Chow Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on your radio set online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. Now we're looking at uh, the issue of China proposing to establish naval bases in uh, key areas on uh, the uh, continent and also just various key points in different regions. And uh, we just let go of Helmut Eitman, who's a defense analyst and consultant who was joining us at the beginning of uh, the program. But on the line, we still have Dr. Francois Frey from the Faculty of Military Science at the University of Stellenbosch, as well as Tim Walker, a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. Now, are there any laws, international laws, that could confuse this whole process? Uh, uh, Tim, coming to you, uh, do we see this actually taking place? Does it actually have any warning signs when it comes to international law? Uh, not really, no. Mm. Most international law concerning the sea is about the governance of uh, resources and the extension of a state's sovereignty and control over its waters, mostly along its coastlines. Mm. So um, in terms of especially operations on the high seas, which is the area of the oceans uh, 12 nautical miles off your shore, that's where a state's control uh, is, is practically non- non-existent apart from... Uh, Whichever ship and uh, whichever ship is uh, sailing along those water, across those waters, and whichever flag it is flying. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of um, the major bodies of law, they are mostly focused on port control. So, making sure you're aware of what kind of goods are entering the port and who's shipping them, and uh, uh, like I say, as well as uh, new, new well, most most uh, most uh, government um, conferences and, and government discussions at the moment are about how to now look at exploiting resources off your shore. Mm. So in terms of uh, specifically military, like I say, maybe uh, net mm. over, over these actions, that, that doesn't really exist. Mm. Well, Dr. Franz Ofre, your views there? Um, I would agree with what Tun says, but mm. one thing that we should keep in mind is what is happening at the moment is that um, countries are extending their offshore territories uh, all more under the uh, under the whole um, governing body or entity of UNCLOS that allows countries to extend their, their claims, etc., um, more and more out to sea, mm. given the the rising importance and realization of that so many, much resources and that holds good potential for prosperity and development are in the sea and on the seabed. So what you are finding at the moment is that these claims and the extension of jurisdiction or even the absence of the extension of jurisdiction is starting to bump up against each other. And what you have now is that um, countries are claiming more and more territory at sea and they are like challenging and pushing up against the legislation that that governs uh, what you should do, what you may claim, and uh, also the boundaries uh, between countries that regulate this. And then now what you find is that you have increasing tensions between countries that say, um, this is my claim, that is what I'm entitled to under UNCLOS or whatever um, international law or elements of national international law that they claim. So in essence what you find is that you've got um, more and more territory at sea that is being claimed and that's causing some kinds of friction 
uh, because it's not always clear what is where and who has jurisdiction over it and who may claim it. And then it's amidst these, these uh, in this, this more dense claims at sea that you now find that countries, uh, for example, like China, uh, they also want to make sure that these uh, uh, maritime territories do not become ungovernable and uh, matters of dispute or territories of dispute. And I think that is one of the reasons why they now uh, tend to make some arguments about their contribution to international law and order at sea as well mm. in order to be able to play a role uh, as an international actor that promotes peace and security in the world, but at sea in particular, because this is a, is a reality. And I don't think everybody is always so aware of the extent to which these claims are growing and growing at sea. Mm, very interesting. Now, it's, it, that's an interesting dynamic, Tim, in terms of what uh, Dr. Franz Ofre is highlighting there, where we are seeing superpowers super such as Russia and the U.S. also extending their reach into foreign waters. Why is there such an importance in this area? Why is there such an interest, Tim? Uh, well, the Indian Ocean is really uh, the, the highway which so much of the world's oil, energy sources, trading goods, uh, flow. Um, mm. If you could, there's many maps you could look up on the internet, and uh, just to, just to show the sheer amount of traffic which crosses this water. Mm. Um, it's often being called now the Maritime Silk Road, mm. uh, linking the Western and Eastern Hemispheres. Uh, it, it really is a very strategic location for, uh, say, which uh, mostly there haven't been conflicts in, in in the Indian Ocean which have jeopardised this trade. Apart from in recent years where piracy has become such a big issue because obviously out on the high seas you're not expecting to be attacked by any other nation so uh, to uh, find yourself assailed by pirates has really shaken up a lot of, uh, a lot of shipping companies and, uh, and, uh, and navies as well. It's given navies, uh, many navies, a particular a sense of uh, renewed purpose um, uh, in the absence of, uh, of war uh, in the last, uh, well, since the Cold War in particular, but... Uh, Many navies now have a renewed sense of uh, purpose and role in terms of uh, creating good order at sea, which is uh, the preferred way of conceptualizing the absence of threats and the absence of, uh, of danger. Mm. Now, I don't know about this because I, I don't know the uh, terminologies. I don't know much about what's happened in the Navy, but uh, uh, my producer, executive producer, just walked in and asked me to ask about, uh, do the Chinese have nuclear ships? Dr. Francois Frey, would you know anything about that? I don't know. I don't know what that even is, nuclear ships, but do we know anything about that? Well, they do, do, they do have, um, I think, about um, three generations of uh, nuclear submarines, mm. Um, the older, the oldest generation, I think, are the ones that I'm, I'm speaking under correction that came um, to the Indian Ocean recently, mm. uh, the Western Indian Ocean, if I'm not mistaken. But that was the older generation. Mm. They've got a new generation, and I think they are bringing out their first generation of um, uh, nuclear submarines. And if I'm not mistaken. I think the upcoming new aircraft carrier of the Chinese are nuclear, that one's nuclear powered as well. Mm. But I think the nuclear element in terms of uh, their navy is to a large extent concentrated about the new, the uh, 
second and third generation submarine nuclear submarines that they have. If I'm, but I'm speaking under correction. Yeah, yeah. But I know that the the uh, nu- the nuclear hub is primarily around the submarines, and I think in terms of um, the aircraft carrier. Mm. Does that create any complications? Pardon. I'm saying that that nuclear element does it create any complications? Look, the the max. The first thing about complications is the very fact that, um, especially your submarines are not only nuclear powered, but they are uh, they also carry nuclear armed um, missiles, mm. uh, and those missiles are of a different range in terms of uh, where they can strike. Um, those are the two matters, and the implications of that has to do with first. We know that China is one of the uh, the nuclear powers in the world, uh, having access to the uh, to nuclear weapons in particular. That's a little bit different from having vessels that's powered by nuclear uh, reactors, and that of course automatically um, raises the red flag in many countries. They just won't allow any such vessels uh, into their waters or even into their harbors. Mm. Um, And this, of course, brings another iteration about these kinds of vessels perhaps won't be allowed to berth Mm. in certain ports um, in the Western Indian Ocean around Africa. Maybe. We we don't know. That's why I said earlier Mm. Mm. it's about the restrictions that govern or the agreements that govern these bases. You have different levels of agreements about what these bases cater for. Um, but I, I do think that the um, element of the nuclear vessels that the Chinese Navy have um, is, is one that's very much about the way in which we must understand what's happening um, in the uh, Pacific Ocean, particularly the waters, mm. what they call the near seas, and the, one, the first and second island change off mm. the coast of China. Yeah, very interesting. I'm going to take one more break, and I just want to really look at how should Africa respond to such proposals? Is it good for the continent? Uh, that's the theme that we'll be coming with just to wrap it up. And also, I also wanted to know, really, in terms of uh, agreements, how would you work an agreement in order to make sure that as a, an independent state, a country that you are safe in making this particular transaction? But what is your view on today's story? SMS us your views on Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Would you think this is a good thing? Uh, seeing uh, China actually establishing uh, a naval basis in uh, certain parts of the continent. Let us know your views. We'll be back after this break. three women suffer from abuse and violence in her lifetime. This is an appalling human rights violation, but it is not inevitable. We can put a stop to this. Won't you help? 
Australian actress and UNIFEM Goodwill Ambassador Nicole Kidman joined the 16 Days of Activism Against Women and Children. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, uh, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. And uh, uh, just as you heard in one of those promos uh, before I came back on air, we are doing the 16 days of activism and taking part in that. Next week, we'll have another program here on African Dialogue looking at uh, that particular issue. I think on Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll have to decide on which day. But we'll we'll come back to that particular issue during this uh, month and uh, even next month into December, uh, trying to really look at the issues concerning that but today we're looking at uh, maritime issues and uh, today we're looking at China proposing to establish naval bases in uh, various parts of uh, the continent I mean the proposals for Africa are very interesting, you're seeing uh, proposed uh, ports in Africa at Lagos port, Mombasa port Dar es Salaam port, Djibouti port, Luanda port, I think that's a lot to do with also trade as well if you just look at those key points and, and areas there but Coming to you, Tim, in terms of uh, should Africa accept these proposals? What do you think we should do? Well, I think there's three factors we need to consider here. Um, firstly, that Africa must develop. There's no, no no discussion about it. We have to sort of grow our economies and improve our social welfare and, and uplift um, millions of people, especially with the uh, expected population boom, which, uh, which Africa will undergo in the years to come. Secondly, that uh, China will and is going to be present no matter what. Um, it will have, uh, a, uh, they will project power, but they will make huge investments in, the, in many of these ports. We're looking at a world now where, say, thirdly, um, the maritime world is changing. We live in an era of mega ports servicing mega ships. Mm. Um, many of these ships are built in China and carry Chinese goods around, and these ports are being... Um, planned for and uh, established within Africa, and these ports will have a huge impact upon the economic prosperity of not just uh, the states and local communities around those ports, but the regional communities like SADAC, um, ECOWAS, uh, Comesso, IGAD. Um, and, uh, and the approach, therefore, is going to be having a, uh, a broad African multilateral discussion with, with China often a lot of these agreements are signed bilaterally just between China and the state in question. But the impact, uh, for instance, you m- might end up with a situation where you're going to have huge ports operating relatively close to each other. And these are going to create corridors to the interior of Africa along which most m- m- many African goods will be exported as well as foreign goods imported. And uh, that will have a huge, like I say, positive impact. But uh, just uh, leaving that aside, the, the fact that a lot of these uh, ports uh, perhaps aren't being planned very openly, transparently, and the environmental impact of a lot of uh, maritime and increased maritime shipping mm. within and around Africa needs to be considered. And that's, like I say, something that the AU, the regional economic communities, and, uh, and states need to consider very carefully. Mm. Dr. Francois Frey, what's your view there? Um, the, I couldn't really follow perfectly what Tim mm. was saying due to the, the line is yeah, very okay. soft at the moment. Mm, mm. But I want to make just want to make three comments. First mm. is we should we shouldn't just uh, stay into the whole idea of naval bases because um, in in some intricate way this is also tied to the whole broader matter of maritime economics. 
secondly, maritime economics, the role of the sea and um, the importance of the sea in terms of new security thinking and new maritime security thought is bringing a whole new way to the fore about how we should think about the oceans, how we should utilize it in a sustainable way and how we should uh, govern the oceans as an asset. This, of course, again ties in with the whole idea around uh, coming forth from Africa with the AIMS 2050 um, strategy about how to harness uh, the the, um, advantages, the resources and the benefits of the ocean. Um, And when we tie this together, this is about the whole growth and development agenda and ultimately the naval side and I'm, I'm saying this rather carefully, the mm. naval side should be about how do you promote uh, the benefits, the maritime economics, or the benefits that stems from the oceans mm. uh, for your country. And in our case, perhaps we would rather would like to argue how do we harness and protect and defend that for the benefit of Africa. Mm. So it's against that backdrop that I would say that um, China has a role to play But we must also remember that China shouldn't be seen as the silver bullet that is going to come in and they are going to resolve so many of the matters uh, that that we wish to resolve around getting it right at sea and ultimately that the benefits become integrated or uh, interfaced with what is happening on land because we Mm -hmm. can sit with the best resources, the most resources, but if you cannot get it out through secure ports and uh, waters where you have good secu- maritime security governance, where navies play their role, what do you do with those resources? It means nothing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, very different views there as well from you and uh, Tim. But as we wrap it up, uh, in terms of establishing these partnerships, Tim, what would need to be done to see that, hey, everything is on board in terms of how do countries create these uh, partnerships and uh, make sure that everything is on board? Just as a process, I know this this is just a proposal, but what would be the right way of going about it? What I would say about the right way is that um, you, you, you really need to have experts that can guide you about how do you set up these agreements. Mm. Um, and yeah, I want to make use of the analogy of oil in Africa. Certain countries are doing very well in how the agreements with the extraction of oil is being set up and how it's governed by ways of agreements between the, the governments and those countries. And I would like to argue that you need the same when you look at the maritime side. It's such a complicated environment, and but it is also simultaneously, in my mind, a make-or-break environment that decision-makers that have to come to some kind of agreement about these matters, even with the Chinese, they should really draw upon the expertise of people that's very knowledgeable. How do you bring all the different facets into such an agreement where, for example, the Chinese would get what they want, or most of it, and the country in question, whether it's Tanzania, Kenya, Somalia, Mozambique, the Seychelles, where they get what they want, even if they are often seen as the junior partner. Mm. You need to bring in skilled people to help you negotiate these agreements. Well, And that's my opinion on this. Mm. Tim, your views? 
Yeah, I'd just uh, like to add, uh, just kind of repeating what I was saying just now, like there's, mm. um, there's kind of two spinning plates going on at the same time. We have uh, countries engaging bilaterally with China or the United States. Um, at the same time, the African countries are looking to integrate politically and economically as well. So in, in addition to the expertise um, to advise on agreements, like just, just to mention that the, the law of the sea is an, is an incredibly complex uh, document. It does require very thorough and careful consideration before making an agreement. Um, but, uh, including uh, making them as transparent as possible and also engaging regionally in mm. discussions about what will occur for the maritime domain because um, many African countries I can't remember the exact number, I think it's about 37 or 38, do have coastlines, but the landlocked countries are very dependent on, on, on the access to the sea as well, so they will have to be brought in as well. Ah, yeah, that will best occur through regional forums. Hmm. I think that's a very interesting element that uh, you bring there, how also the landlocked countries are also affected by all of this. But thank you. We have run out of time. Thank you to Tim Walker, the researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. Also, I want to thank Dr. Francois Frey from the Faculty of Military Science at the University of Stellenbosch for joining us this hour. What an insightful program. I think it needs a follow-up because uh, sometimes we just need to understand also the basics of what happens in uh, uh, in, in, the, in our waters and uh, the powers that be and control those areas. But thank you both for joining us here on the program. Okay. Thank you. And also earlier on we had uh, Helmut Eitman, who's a defense analyst and consultant, who was joining us uh, earlier on in our program as part of this discussion. How interesting is that? Also, I love what uh, uh, Dr. Frey was highlighting there in terms of, hey, is China the answer for our issues here? Do we also need to actually, hey, say, hey, we can actually uh, do something ourselves in order to make sure that, hey, you're benefiting from us. It's not just you uh, giving us uh, things, but also you also getting a trade here. You're also getting some buy-in from us. So I think also the dominance of Africa should also show its footing there. But what are your thoughts about the story that we're featuring today? China proposing to establish naval bases and key ports on the continent. Let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven eight two three. Three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We'll take one more break and we'll come back with our economics news. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now it's time for us to move on and get our economics news. Bisani Matebula is standing by.
Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. A group of uh, pro-Palestinian activists are marching to retailer Woolworth's headquarters in South Africa's mother city, Cape Town Central Business District, to protest against the retailer's trade relations with Israel. The group is marching under the banner of National Coalition for Palestine. Sisanda Ngola reports. The court has said that based on their willingness to stop the in-store protest, which they have agreed to, um, that we would engage further with them and we will indeed be doing that. My understanding is there is going to be a protest in the vicinity of our head office um, and obviously we are ready to deal with that. At least two of South Africa's power utilities, ESCOM's employees, have been arrested in connection with fraud that could have resulted in the power utility losing money. According to the elite police unit, the hoax suspicion was raised when ESCOM's investigation team picked up suspicious fraudulent activities within their information technology section and alerted the Hawks. The Hawks says the two employees, aged 27 and 29, had interfered with ESCOM's payroll network system, which would have compromised funds. It is the second time that the Hawks uh, foil a cyber heist. On November 12th, they arrested a former employee of the Gau Train Management Agency for a similar crime. Kenya's central bank governor has filed an appeal asking the court to throw out a case accusing him of abusing his office through his involvement in issuing a tender to install security software at the bank. Earlier this month, Kenyan High Court ruled that the government's anti-graft agency and chief prosecutor could pursue the case against Ndungu Nandungu. Ndungu denied involvement in the case, saying he was not involved in the tender process and the tender was awarded by an authorized body. Resources company BHP Billiton has outlined plans to cut costs further as the world's biggest miner battles declining commodity prices, pointing to its planned demerger as helping to drive productivity gains. The Anglo-Australian Resources Group is aiming to simplify and strengthen its business and also look to save $4 billion a year in running costs. Ugandan coffee exports for October have risen 9% to 229.4 compared with the same month a year ago, reversing a pattern of lower exports this year. Uganda Coffee Development Authority says shipments in October fetched $30.7 million compared with $22.7 million, which has been earned in the same month a year ago. Financial indicators, the dollar at 10.99 South African rands at 9.06 Botswana Pules and 6.25 Zambian Quaches, also at 0.63 to the British pound and 0.80 against the euro. Looking now at the commodities market, gold $1,198 and platinum $1,216 a fine ounce. Brand crude oil is at $78.23 per barrel. That's how it's looking this hour. Fiki Lelingwat is up next with your sports update. In a sports update this hour, kicking off with football news, staged the outside the FIFA calendar. The Nelson Mandela Challenge match between Bafana Bafana and Cote d'Ivoire set from Bombela Stadium in South Africa's 
Nelspruit province on Sunday was always going to encounter problems. Now, Kaiser Chiefs has become the first team to confirm that they will not be releasing two of their players following the announcement of the 23-man squad at Safa House. But speaking after the announcement of the squad, head coach Ifram Sheikh Mashaba says the majority of the players have been confirmed except some few. We did uh, had an opportunity to talk some of the, with some of the team, but I think three quarters of the players that we've announced are available unless if something happens. We're still waiting for some few teams to confirm, but we did send the call-up letters to them. We can only hear what they say. And of course, we're not going to be hard because uh, teams, they're about to go into recess. They'll always want to go out there with good results so that when they come back, there's no pressure. So we are saying to them, we'd like to thank them for those who have already given us the players. There was a positive response in the press conference when Mashaba announced that the league's current top goal scorer with seven goals, Puleng Tlani from Pulukwane City, Bloemfontein Celtics Lerato Lamola, made the squad. There's a host of players who have received call-ups for the first time, and Mashaba says with the announcement of the AFCON squad looming, this is an opportunity for the boys to stake their claim in the team. We are getting towards this thing of saying players play themselves second fiddle to other players. What we're looking at, every South African player deserves to be in the national team, be it in the under-17s, under-20, or under-23. If you look at now in, a, in our current Bafana squad, we've got how many players from the junior teams. So all the players that are here, it is their opportunity to cement their places. It's not us that to go. As soon as they get this chance, let them grab it with both hands. And if they're doing well, why, why can't let them go on with the, with the national team? So we are saying everybody who's here, it's here on merits. No one who came here in favor. And Manchester City's Sergio Aguero struck a hat-trick, including two late goals in a 3-2 victory against 10 men Bayern Munich to keep alive their hopes of reaching the Champions League knockout phase. Aguero raced through to slot past Manuel Neuer in the 85th and 95th 91st rather minutes to snatch a stunning win. The Argentine having given City a 21st minute lead with a penalty after Bayern Medi Banencia was shown a red card for bringing him down. City manager Manuel Pellegrini says any pressure his side were under was self-inflicted but they could do little to prevent Bayern Munich dominating the early position. In rugby news... Marithi Pinar will captain the Springbok Women's Sevens in Dubai in the opening leg of the World Rugby Sevens. That's a World Series from the 4th to the 5th of December. Pinar will lead the side in the absence of regular captain Zanay Jordan, who has been sidelined by a knee injury. Coach Renfred Dazzle announced his 12-member touring squad for the tournament, which features experienced Rugby World Cup Sevens campaigners Lorinda Brown, Verushka Grain, and Pume Zagadu, as well as few newer faces in Sinazo Nobele and Shona Lee Weston. A squad of 14 players have been based in Stellenbosch since mid-October to prepare for the series, which marks their debut on the World Series circuit. The Springbok Women's Sevens will face defending Dubai Women's World Series champion Australia in the opening pool match, followed by clashes against Spain and France. The squad will depart for Dubai on Saturday. And finally, with swimming news, Holland-based Tanzania, or that's Malawian rather, the swimmer Joyce Tafatata will take part in a swimming tournament by the end of this year in Doha in Qatar. 
the 16-year-old, who was the youngest swimmer at London Olympics two years ago, will make use of competition as a warm-up in readiness for 2016 in Brazil Olympics. Her previous competitions include London Olympics and Zone 6 Games. She received a major boost at the London Olympics when she won a medal, but now her target is the most prestigious gold medal. President of Aquatic Association of Malawi, Dean Pindo, says thorough preparations will provide rigid grounds in her pursuit for a gold medal in Brazil. And that's your Sport News this hour. All right, that's how we wrap it up today. Thank you for joining us today here on our program. Uh, we want to hear your views on today's story, looking at the establishment of naval bases by China on uh, the continent. Do you think it's a good thing? Uh, we heard uh, from our experts there saying, hey, does it really benefit us uh, from a, a regional perspective? And also, does it actually um, actually safeguard our own interests as well? Let us know in on your thoughts. Plus 27823. Three three two five nine zero five. Want to know what you're thinking? So do SMS us. That uh, SMS line again is plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now let me end of the proverb of the day. Very interesting one for today. It states that uh, he who chatters with you will also chatter about you. That is an Egyptian proverb. He who chats with you will also chatter about you. I think this chattering is a problem. You know, there's a lot of people chattering about other people. And, hey, we need just uh, let's speak positive things about people. Let's uh, say the best about people and see the best in people and stop complaining as a continent. But for me, Benjamin Mshatam, until tomorrow, God bless.